Beloved saints, we have in our hands the eternal word of the God of creation. In his word is life, understanding, wisdom. This is a great gift and so it deserves our undivided attention. Let us listen to our God's word. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Aturea and Traconitis and Licinius tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness and he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book or sorry in the words of Isaiah the prophet the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his path straight every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Uh, that ends uh, the reading of God's word for this point. Uh, let us ask his blessing on our time in it. O oh God, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than ours, and your thoughts higher than our thoughts. We're here today because we want to know you. We want to know your truth and we want to know your ways. And so we ask that you would teach them to us and that you would guide us in your ways. That you you grant that we might know them and seek after them with all of our hearts and minds and strength. And we pray that you would do this in us and for us as we draw near to you. In your word we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So you see the sermon title, Who is Jesus? And that is the most important question uh, as we draw our series in the Gospel of Luke to a close. Um, Really, we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke for the past two years. I hope it's been encouraging. Uh, And really, uh, I finished the book a couple weeks ago, a few weeks back. Uh, But... Uh, before we left it, I wanted to focus on on a few themes that show up all the way through the Gospel of Luke and um, look at each of those individually, kind of as a theme, uh, before we left our study. Uh, and so I first looked at the Sabbath and how that shows up through the Gospel of Luke. And then uh, we looked at what it means to take up our cross. That is a theme that repeats. And today I want to close uh, our time in Luke's gospel by looking at Luke's preferred titles for Jesus. Uh, The gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they use so many titles for Jesus. Uh, we think we see things like teacher, master, uh, rabbi, and so on. But but in Luke, there's a focus on really just two titles: the Lord and the Son of Man. The Lord and the Son of Man, and and that's intentional in Luke. Uh, both of these carry a lot of weight. Uh, And like a freight train, they are driving their way through Luke's gospel 
to teach us and show us and really uh, imprint upon us who Jesus is. And so as we look at these two titles today, what I want to show you is that Luke is trying to tell us that Jesus is the God of Israel, the judge of all mankind, and the Savior of all who believe in him. That's what he's doing with those titles. He's telling us that Jesus is the God of Israel, the judge of all the world, and the Savior of all who believe on him. So that's what we want to look at. And to do that, I want to uh, first look at uh, that title, The Lord, and see that through that, Luke is saying that Jesus is Yahweh, the God of Israel, uh, and, and, and that's really what he means by that title, and, and we'll get into how and why. After that, I want to look at the title, The Son of Man, and its history in the Old Testament uh, to refer to the one who will judge the world on the last day. And then finally, I want to show how both of these come together in Luke's gospel to emphasize that Jesus' mission is one of salvation and forgiveness for all who turn to him in faith. And so that's where we want to spend uh, the next few minutes together. So let's start by seeing how how Luke presents Jesus as the God of Israel. His most common way of referring to Jesus is simply the Lord. Now by itself, the the word Lord simply means master. Uh, For example, uh, there's some parables in chapter 12 where the master of the house is called the Lord of the house. Um, it just means he's in charge. Um, Peter, in his letter, his first epistle, praises uh, Sarah in uh, Genesis 18 for calling Abraham her Lord. And, and she wasn't calling him deity or God. She was just saying, you're the master of this house. Um, and so there's a temptation to think that really what Luke is doing when he calls Jesus the Lord is simply saying something like it's, it's, a, it's a title of honor, that Jesus is the leader of the disciples, uh, his band of brothers. And to be sure, that's possible. But, but when we poke a little deeper, it's, it's really hard to hold on to that idea that is really simply a, a title of honor for a leader. Um, because Luke isn't just, I'm sorry, Lord isn't just Luke's primary uh, title for Jesus. It's his primary title for God. Uh, throughout this book, Luke says things like, uh, we just read about uh, John the Baptist. His mom uh, and dad were introduced to us early on in chapter 1, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Luke says this about them. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And he expected that everyone would know who the Lord is. Over and over again, that's how God is referred to, simply as the Lord. And there's a reason for this. It goes back to the burning bush in Exodus 3. Isaac, you should preach through Exodus. That would be awesome. Uh, He he dealt with this a few months ago, right? In Exodus chapter 3, in the burning bush. And, And there at the burning bush, God gave his people a special name. Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And, and God says, I am that I am, tell them, I am sent you. And in, and in Hebrew, that title, I am, is Yahweh. Um, and, and you might have heard that name before. And that name becomes 
Israel's most treasured, most sacred name for God. And so they revered that name. So so much so that when they would read the scriptures and they would come across that name, instead of saying Yahweh, they would say the Lord. Because they didn't want to use his name irreverently. When the Hebrew scriptures were later translated into Greek, they didn't simply write out Yahweh in Greek letters. Everywhere that showed up in the Hebrew Bible, they would put the Lord. And that means that when Luke is writing in Greek and he quotes an Old Testament passage where that special name shows up, he has three options on how he's going to handle it because Luke is writing in Greek. So he can either write out Yahweh with Greek letters, which was possible. We can do it with English letters. Or he could translate it, I am. Uh, And so he could translate that name from Hebrew into Greek. Or he could use that more traditional substitute and simply say, the Lord. So the question is, what does Luke do when he quotes an Old Testament passage where that special name shows up? Well, it happens, well, it happens five times, but with four different uh, Hebrew passages in Luke. One is quoted twice. Um, One example would be... um, that Luke says that, that John the Baptist came to fulfill Isaiah 40, verse 3, which, which in Hebrew would say something like, In the wilderness prepare the way of Yahweh, make straight in the desert the highway of our God. Uh, this is the passage that is quoted uh, in our passage in Luke 3. So the question is, Luke, what are you going to do with God's name? Well, we heard it in our, our scripture reading. <laughs> Luke records it this way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Luke uses that that tradition of honoring that, that special name by simply saying the Lord. He does it again in chapter 4 when he quotes Isaiah 61. He, he does it again uh, in chapters 13 and 19 when he quotes Psalm 118. And he does it finally in chapter 20 when he quotes Psalm 110. And the point is simply this. When Luke calls the God of Israel the Lord, he's being reverent and he's following a long established pattern. He's substituting that title for that most sacred of names. And this, this is his preferred title for Jesus as well. And it's not just a title of respect, like, Master, where would you have us go? Lord, where would you have us go? He, he commonly simply refers to Jesus as the Lord, not a Lord, but the Lord. The one and only Lord. Not a Lord or Master, but the Lord. And then all doubt is, is removed when you realize that... He quotes those Old Testament passages about Yahweh and he applies them to Jesus. Luke says that John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus, quoting Isaiah, which says he would come and prepare the way for the Lord, for Yahweh. There's no way around it. 
Luke identifies Jesus as Israel's God. Come in the flesh to Israel. And that, that is what makes people uncomfortable. People are fine with Jesus as long as he is an example or a good teacher. And yet the Bible is emphatically clear that he is God. He will not be reduced down to a moral example. He will not allow us to simply call him a good teacher. He demands that we recognize him to be very God of very God. The the God who created the world. But that poses a threat to us. Because it demands more than respect. It, It requires worship. And, and, and Jesus will settle for absolutely nothing less than surrender. Absolute, total, and complete surrender. You can't be indifferent to him. I think it, this is um, what the world spends so much time and ink uh, trying to avoid. The world wants to soften him. Remove all offense. Because facing God, the one who knows all, sees all, and requires absolute perfection, makes us extremely uncomfortable. We want a friend, not a God. We want a role model, not an object of worship. And and he will allow no such nonsense... Jesus Christ is either God or he is the greatest fraud in history. There is no in-between. There is no alternate. And that has implications for Luke's other preferred title for Jesus, the Son of Man, which, which means that he is the one who will judge the world on the last day. As to see that, let's turn to chapter 17. I'm going to read verses uh, 20 through 37. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. Again, this is God's word. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out and follow them, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side uh, to the other, so will be the Son of Man in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. For just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. Until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they will be eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And so it will be 
when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in, in one bed, and one will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together, and one will be taken, and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I said that this is one, uh, the Son of Man, we've heard, I think, three or four times in this passage. And I said that it's one of Luke's preferred titles uh, for Jesus. And I think a better way to actually state it would be it's Jesus' preferred title for himself. Usually when it comes up, it's Jesus talking about himself in the third person. When we do that, it sounds terrible. But when he does it, it's cool. Uh, Because Jesus is referring back to Daniel chapter 7. Which says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that cannot be destroyed. And so the disciples are saying, well, tell us about the kingdom. And he says, I can't talk about the kingdom unless we talk about the Son of Man who receives it. Some people think that that Son of God is a title of exaltation and Son of Man is a title of humiliation, and that's not it at all. It is the title from the book of Daniel for the one who will come and judge the world on the last day. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. He is God. And his rule will be absolute. His rule will be eternal. And every time Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, this is the passage that would come to the minds of his hearers. They would realize that he was saying, I'm the one you need to face on the last day. Are you ready? What you do with Jesus makes all the difference for your eternity. That's what he's saying by calling himself the Son of Man over and over and over again in Luke. Jesus says that in chapters 9 and 12 that those who confess allegiance to the Son of Man will be acknowledged before the Father in heaven and those who deny the Son of Man will be denied before the Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, yes, he is kind and yes, he is merciful. He offers grace to all who confess their need for a Savior and surrender to him. But he is just and he is righteous as well. And there is a day coming when the time for repentance will run out. And he will come and he will judge the world. And he can't be bribed. He can't be tricked. He can't be deceived. 
He knows all and is completely incorruptible. That's the unstoppable reality coming. But but warning us about that day isn't um, bravado. It's not arrogance. It's it's not taunting. It's a mercy. He's giving us the opportunity to repent before it's too late. It would be um, a lack of kindness not to tell us what's coming. It's kindness that says, repent before it's too late. Understand what's coming. Don't rush into it unprepared. The religious leaders, they understood who he claimed to be. And they were terrified. Because they were antagonistic to him. They hated him. They fought him. And he was saying, yes, but I'm the one who you have to face on the last day. And so they thought their only way to stop him was to put him to death. And so they conspired and, and they lied. They framed him. And they saw to it that he was executed. And they thought that they were safe. But then he rose again. Because not even death could stop him. And as he ascended into heaven, he promised he will come again to do what he's been warning about. He will come again. And so the time to prepare is now. And his return will be like the flood of Noah. It will be like the judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah. It will come without warning. In other words, because Jesus is the Son of Man, we must live every day like it was our last. Always ready for his return. That's what Luke wants us to know through this title. This is what he's relentlessly driving home by by referring to Jesus as the Son of Man or recording really that Jesus referred to himself that way. So what hope is there? If Jesus is the God of Israel and he will come on the last day to judge all people in righteousness, what hope do any of us have? Well, that's the great twist of Luke's message. And it's this. God, the judge of all, is also a merciful Savior and he will save all who call upon his name. That's the great message. So on the one hand, Luke gives us an exalted understanding of who Jesus is, one to whom all one to whom all must bow and give an account. And yet wrapped up in that message, flowing from beginning to end of the book of Luke, is a message of profound humility and love, of grace and forgiveness. And it could be no other way because Jesus is the Lord. To to claim to be the Lord, the God of Israel, to claim to be Yahweh, comes with obligations. Remember what Yahweh the Lord said in Exodus 34. It's printed on our back wall back there so you never forget. It says this, The Lord descended in the cloud... 
and stood with him, Moses, there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is a verse we should all have memorized. Because if Jesus is the Lord, if Jesus is Yahweh, if he is, if he is God, then he must be about forgiving sin. And this is why in our passage, uh, Jesus didn't just say that the Son of Man was going to suffer at the hands of the leaders in Jerusalem, but that he must suffer. Why must? Well, because he came to save people from judgment, his own judgment. Because he is good and he is just, his own righteousness requires uh, that all disobedience be punished. Failing to, to punish disobedience would make him complicit in our sin. And he can't do that. And so the only way to show mercy to sinners, the only way, the only way to forgive sin and to remain righteous is to endure the punishment we deserve in our place. That was the only way to save us from eternal judgment. There's no other option. It was necessary. He must suffer for us because that is the only way to forgive us, to pay our debt in our place. Luke Luke 5 is interesting. It records, among uh, other things, uh, Jesus healing a paralyzed man. And the power that Jesus shows in healing this man is astounding. A man who had been uh, paralyzed all his life is suddenly not just given the ability to walk, but the muscle to do it. And in that moment, gets up and walks. But what's really incredible is the reason Jesus tells us he did this. Because it's so easy to think, well, why did you do this? Because he was paralyzed and walking would be better. But that's not what Jesus says. He says it was to prove that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And that miracle was really pointing forward to the day when Jesus himself would be raised, not from paralysis, but from the dead. And it was meant to tell us that the resurrection would be proof that he had paid the debt and was now able to forgive those who come to him in faith. And it's here that these two titles, the Lord and the Son of Man, uh, are meant to drive us. And this is where they meet. Jesus says that if you acknowledge the Son of Man before men, he will acknowledge you before the Father. He will advocate for you. He will declare that his sacrifice was for your sake. He will will tell his Father, this one's debt is paid in full. Your trust in him means your salvation. 
prophet Joel had another way of saying this. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, on the name of Yahweh, will be saved. Everyone who cries out to him for mercy, because he is the God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who forgives iniquity and transgression of sin, all who call on him for mercy will be saved. Everyone who cries out to Yahweh for mercy will find it. Everyone who trusts in what he has done in this world will find the sweet comfort of mercy and grace. There is no greater message than that. Full forgiveness. A gift you can't earn, given to you free of charge. And you sit there and say, who would ever refuse such a gift? Who could ever hate such a giver? And that's the paradox of the story of Luke. Because Jesus regularly encountered hatred and antagonism. Ultimately, they felt it necessary to murder him just to silence him. Why? Why would anyone hate someone so kind, so generous, so sacrificial? And the answer is because as kind as he is towards sinners, he will not ignore sin. I will forgive your sin, but we're not going to pretend it doesn't exist. We're going to talk about it and we're going to address it. He demands that we call our sin what it is and acknowledge what it deserves. In other words, he demands humility. And we struggle with humility. We would rather be praised by a liar than confronted by a friend. We don't want to ask for mercy because we don't want to acknowledge that we need mercy. Pride is a vicious killer. But the solution is not to double down on your arrogance and try to convince the world that you don't need help. That you deserve heaven. The solution is to look to Jesus, the God of Israel, the judge of all mankind, who came into this world in order that he might suffer what we deserve so that he might save us from hell if we would simply ask him for mercy. And that's what the book of Luke is all about. Because that's who Jesus is, and the book of Luke is about who Jesus is. And this is what he's driving home through his, his persistent, tenacious use of these two titles, the Lord and the Son of Man. Luke wrote this book so that we might learn to recognize Jesus for who he is. And then he finished this book by telling us that we don't learn to fully recognize him simply through what is written but also as he breaks bread with us and he opens up our eyes through a shared meal. And so the Lord's Supper is before us. And in it, we see a picture of all that Luke has written for us. We see a visible reminder of the God who took on flesh and blood so that he might 
die in our place in order to show us kindness, in order to forgive our sins. The judge of the world was judged for our sakes. And so we close our time in God's word this morning. We close our time in Luke's gospel where Luke himself would have us do so at the Lord's table. Because here we see a picture of Christ's death on the cross, a reminder of the price he was willing to pay to save us. And here we are assured of his promise that all who call upon his name will be saved. So I'd like to ask the elders to come forward that we might receive this precious gift uh, this morning. Our great and glorious God, you are mighty, you are eternal, you are just, you are righteous, there is none like you, and you are merciful, and you are kind, you forgive sin, and you save sinners. And so we praise you, we thank you, and we want to be more like you. We ask that you would teach us not just to seek your mercy, but to be transformed by it. Take our lives and shape us into your own image. Teach us to be ready for the return of our God, our King, our Savior. The Lord, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, in whom we have life. Amen.